Oh, yeah. I mean, can you feel that? Can you feel it right now? This is Morning Combat Holiday Mailbag Edition. Friday. You're, you're watching this on Friday, November 25th, the day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday, uh, probably still full in effect for those that, that celebrate that. This is Brian Campbell. That's Luke Thomas. We did pre-record this, so in the space-time continuum, I have yet to have my turkey and cheap cranberry out of the can, uh, which is really the only way to have it. But we've debated that up and down. This is Morning Combat, your only multi-award-winning combat sports show that's trying its best to take over your personal life. Uh, BC here, LT there, Luke Thomas, welcome into this holiday edition um, is your heart filled with holiday joy? Just, uh, as we record this a couple days out from my favorite holiday, brother. Um, uh, is my heart filled with joy for a few days off? Yes. Yes. Okay. One, one can accept that. One can accept that. Um, happy holidays to you and yours, Luke. Uh, we likewise, thank all likewise. of our great people. Mikey Mormal, our fantastic, uh, producer from CBS sports, all the great folks at Malka Showtime that helped make this show possible, but most importantly, you the viewer this is about us giving thanks back to you we solicited out questions to our email address to our twitter accounts so that's what we're gonna do we're gonna play with the bag have a little fun with it inflate it a little bit i'm sure at our age luke we can use that inflation that's the kind of inflation we need right now right <laughs> the only inflation that really serves serves us uh, personally yes Yes, yes. All right. Uh, Luke, do we have to sell any? We don't have to sell any ads, right? I mean, do no, we? I think people know the drill. I mean, just to keep, make sure we pump the email, right? Morningcombat at gmail.com for to reach the show for anything else. Y'all know showtime.com, all that good stuff. But yeah, all those um, people yeah. that pay us. And, you know, we got great holiday merch too for Black Friday today. All right. So head on over. Ooh, to yeah, good point. Yes. Morningcombat.store. Morningcombat.store. If you didn't get in, put your email address on that homepage. You can get the Black Friday savings coming your way. All right. This one is about the people. Luke, you know it's my favorite holiday. You think it's a little bit overrated. I don't know. I mean, you did grow up in a high school that had a big football tradition, but it, the Thanksgiving thing didn't catch you? I mean, it didn't bite into you? The thing is, um, my family likes Thanksgiving more than any other holiday. I do like Thanksgiving more than many holidays, to be quite clear about it. Thanksgiving was fun in college where you'd been gone for a while and then everyone yes. went home and everyone kind of checked in on how everyone else was doing or whatever. And then everyone goes out on the, the nights that you had off or whatever. But, but like, I gotta be honest, man, just pound for pound. Christmas is hard to beat for me. And for my, and my, my, my wife's family too. Like Christmas is huge where she's from. And yeah, you know, I mean, it's just a little bit different. Dude, Christmas is like the New York Yankees of holidays. It's really hard to, yeah. you know, it's a chip away at it from a, whether you're celebrating the Christ side of it or you just want to be with your family and make everybody happy and open gifts. And once you have kids, obviously that brings back the kid in you in so many ways. So I can appreciate that. But, you know, you mentioned everybody comes back. That's always been a huge part of Thanksgiving. It's not just the meal, family time, the high school football game against Ansonia. We're taking those chargers down this year. I just know it. And it's like, you know, I was that guy, Luke, who didn't get to go away to college. So Thanksgiving weekend and the night before that Wednesday night, which where I come from, it's a holiday called Valley New Year. Fantastic, Luke. You know, everybody comes back. All the people that think they're too good for their hometown comes back and fills up the crappy local bars. Dude, that was an event from ages like age like 19 to like 26. Dude, that was an event, right? 
26? No, I didn't participate that long. You hung around. You were a gross townie, it turns out. Yeah, well, my town is full of townies. It's So, like, you know, you're not really all that gross at that age. But, I mean, you could at least relate to that, Luke, right? Yes, in Valdosta, yes. when all your ex Marietta, I would go back. My brother graduated from Valdosta High School, but then we moved, and then I went to Marietta High School for my sophomore, junior year. So I would go back to Marietta for a few years that's what i did all right you and i have debated now what three years into the show many times our our love for thanksgiving and our favorite side dishes and all that but let's hit off our first question from daz Riccio. we do have to remember not everybody's a p1 here they may be late to the party so luke refresh their memory question number one here what is your number one thanksgiving dish or food and conversely what is your least favorite and also what would you replace your least favorite with it does not have to be a Thanksgiving food, according to Daz. So that's a three-part question regarding the centerpiece on Thursday, Luke. Speak to your life, please. All right. So, okay. So here's where I'm lucky. Remember, my brother and my sister used to own a restaurant together. They, they sold it. They, they got out of the business. But they had a successful one for about 15 years. They had a nice one going. Luckily, they, they closed it right before the pandemic hit. So all's well that ends well. But the point I bring that up to say is that I'm very lucky and I'm very spoiled because my family can cook in ways that I'm just going to say most families cannot. I think it's a pretty fair way to put it. So um, I normally never have to worry about things I don't like. In terms of things I like, my number one go-to. Dude, I'm a mac and cheese guy. I, I just... That's it's a Thanksgiving not the, tradition? Is you let me, let, me, let me say, it's not necessarily the centerpiece. I get that. I get that. It's not. The, I, you can't plan a meal around mac and cheese i get that but i just feel like pound for pound every bite of that mac and cheese if it's done correctly it just delivers in the most impressive of ways if we're talking about centerpieces i'm going to go back to i think an old answer which is if you've never had and i'm going to put a caveat here properly cooked fried turkey Fried turkey. If you've never had fried turkey, let me do it. Let me do an impression of you from from our first year of it. What? You never, you never, you never, you never, you never had fried turkey. What? Dude, once you've had fried turkey, you realize that everyone else has been fucking with your life for as long as you existed. It's not even. They're not even on the same ballpark of deliciousness. So that would be my centerpiece. Obviously, some good gravy on top of it really drives that home. That's going to be my answer for that. But of course, just pound for pound. It's going to be mac and cheese. Things I would not want to eat. I'll well, tell you this Before much. you transition, let me ask you this, okay? Because where you're putting mac and cheese right now is like not the centerpiece, but maybe the MVP that keeps it all together. To me, that's stuffing. I, I will not have a bite that doesn't have stuffing and cranberry in that bite. Are you like me where you'll mesh everything on the plate, but every bite's got to have a little representation of each area? Sometimes, but stuffing is for peasants. Cranberry sauce is for peasants. No. Just don't, uh, not, uh, both of those are trash. But I will say this, I'd eat both of those before I eat someone's Brussels sprouts, fucking oh, whatever. Yeah. Just a just a low-class food for raccoons. I mean, can we just be honest about that? That's just garbage food. It doesn't taste, oh, but we blanch ours and we fry ours. Yeah, you got to blanch and fry that thing into oblivion. Yeah, it tastes like it shit. Tastes like anything. Yeah, honest. it's gross. Yeah. It's gross. So that's my answer to get the fuck out of there with that one. All right, great. BC, you? Um, I, well, if, let me just hit you first. I, I've said it before. My number one, the dish or food. Like, I'm not a turkey guy. I'll put a, a little bit on my plate. But the centerpiece for me is the meat pie, Luke. And I've realized, I've come to learn that that's a French-Canadian tradition from my going back is to Is that my like shepherd's pie? Quebecian and Vermont uh, people. So it's it's a crusted pie that has what looks to be 
ground beef seasoned. Yes, shepherd's really, pie. It's, 100%. It's, Dude, shepherd's no, pie it's not is shepherd's amazing. pie. Shepherd's pie has like mashed potatoes and vegetables. Meat pie basically has pork, beef, and chicken kind of mixed together with some heavy sweet seasonings and that perfectly crispy crust. It's not too far from shepherd's pie, but it's something completely different. Okay. And once you've had it, like my wife never grew up with it, tried it once and was like, this is the most disgusting thing ever. But if you've had it, if it's in your blood, if you're a Quebecois, you get that shit. Okay. But what's my least favorite? I'd have to go yams or turnip, you know? Yeah. The I'm orange. not a big yams or turnip guy either. Yeah. No. Dude, yeah. My buddy's Iranian. This isn't so much like uh Thanksgiving related. They just eat it all the time. His family would take radishes and then just eat it like an apple. That's weird. I'd be like, yeah, dude, that's, that's the most insane thing I've ever seen in my life. I know there's people that do that with onions, lemons. Uh, that's, you know, I mean, you know, whatever. If that's your Yeah, thing, Jeffrey right. Dahmer and co. That's right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, they say, what would you replace it with? I want to give this answer because uh, I go to Uncle, shout out to Uncle Tony Campbell. I go to his every year on Thanksgiving and, and Aunt Cheryl makes a lasagna because one of her kids doesn't eat the traditional Thanksgiving. So lasagna, by the way, is my favorite food of all time. So mm. when I am able to replace whatever I don't want already on the Thanksgiving plate with lasagna, you got you got a happy BC right here, Luke. Do you have any, yeah, do you make I, any weird replacements? I See, again, I don't really ever have to because we don't ever eat. I, I I'm I'm very lucky. We don't ever eat poorly with that. I will say if that like if I'm at someone else's house and I got to do some replacements, I don't mind a little green bean crack casserole. Little green bean casserole is yeah, all yeah, right, yeah. man. You can That's do something right. with that, you know. Yeah, yeah, I'm into that. My mom made a great one of that. But you know, the three F's is always what defines Thanksgiving to me: food, family, and football. You know, it's going to the game Thanksgiving morning and hoping you can finally You're gonna get World Cup this time. Yep, and then, of course, the trio of NFL games after. And don't forget, Luke, along with the video game tournaments, the backyard family football game every year, is a, it's a, just a, it's a standard, Luke. And it's competitive as heck, even though there's a good mixture of young kids, old people. And, you know, it's – I mean, you know, I've, I've had some serious – who could forget the bloody toe game, Luke, from 04 when I rallied us back in the second half? You, I mean, they, you and Kurt Schilling? Yeah, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, shout out to uh, Snarky Head Ginger. She'll appreciate that one. All right, let's keep this show rolling here. We got to – well, big variety of questions here. Mikey, I'm just going to shout out what I like here and you can adjust. But uh, here we go. Let's go over to uh, Wartan Blake. He has a question related to combat that's aimed at you, Luke. He says, at what weights would you set the weight classes in MMA, adding or taking away any divisions as you please? They have the same question for me on boxing, but I want to stay on MMA because you and I have debated this through the years where you want more weight classes I come from boxing where there's 17 and it sucks the horn. I want less weight classes, but what would the amendments you would make right now to, to, to improve the sport if you could by adjusting the weight classes? No, I wouldn't make a ton of change. I wouldn't make a ton of change because I get the point, especially as you get higher in the weight, the fighters start sucking more. And so you want to make some constraints around who gets invited to that party by virtue of that. So what I would say is on the women's side, it already exists, but I think we need to think about straw weight. Well, we have straw weight, I'm sorry, atom weight at 105. I think that's a burgeoning weight class that's eventually going to make its way to the UFC. So I would add that. That's one. Do you eventually, think Lomachenko comes out of retirement, Luke, to, to fight in her preferred division? That's right. That that's right. Atom weight. Does, um, she, does she come out of retirement for that? Oh, for atom weight? Yeah. No, she's past 40. Like, it's too late. It's too late. Yeah. I, I think she's approaching 40. That's what I think. I think she's 40. Like She'll be 40 soon. Anyway. On the men's side, it's I wouldn't change much. You got 125, 135, 145, 155. One, then, then that's where I change. Then I go 165, 175, 185, and then 205, and then heavyweight. 
So the only real change I'm making is I'm not doing the 15-pound jump between lightweight and welter. I'm making it still 10, then bumping welter up five more pounds, and then making that allotment therein. All right. Uh, you know, I mean, I get that if you go 10, 10, 10, and then suddenly you have this bigger gap, it's it's inevitably going to not be fair to certain guys who are sort of in the middle. But, you know, that's sort of how it works. You know, you either you either want to go crazy and have a million weight. I mean, we have 17 in boxing and they try they're trying to add bridger weight, which is just an unnecessary 18. I, I'll Luke, never forget when we sat down with Haseem Rockman. I'm like, what's your goals in the sport? He's like, yo, I'm trying to be the bridger weight champ. I'm yeah, like, wow, that's red no. flag, buddy. That's red yeah, flag that's territory. Big, Greg Hardy's going to going to send you to hell one day for that. Oh, wait, he just did last weekend. All right, look, my question on on that, it's this could be for boxing or heavyweight, which is why the bridger weight came about. So in specifically in MMA, it seems that that heavyweight cut limit of 265, which I think every other promotion, as far as I can remember, has also adopted, has been to eliminate that early UFC vision of like little guy fighting fat guy, right? But that was back when there were no weight classes anyway. Do you think that stands for many years to come where, you know, I don't know if it's Dana, what is this, some great big fat person? Uh, I, you know, yeah, there's a lot of great big fat persons who can still fight. This seems discriminatory against the big bone folks. Will this stand forever, you think? Well, some commissions have an allowance for super heavyweight. I've seen it. You can fight Ooh. super heavyweight where you can fight into the threes. If they wanted to add that on occasion, like getting commission approval or whatever, then fine. But otherwise, I think the 265 limit basically serves a pretty legitimate and helpful function. Okay. Don't you? Okay. I, yes. I mean, I want, yes, yes. But it's, it, I don't know. You would need, it's not just, hey, what if we have one amazing 320 pounder that has nowhere else to go? But you would need to be able to fill out a division. I mean, look at the, I mean, look at the Remember, UFC's I've talked. I've talked to matchmakers before. In order to make a division work, they need at least, at least 20 people. Yeah, 20 people is, to make a division work. As we found out with women's featherweight, for example, uh, it's right. just not it's just not there. It's just not there. But I've seen right. like I've seen I've seen in Hawaii, for example, they've had um, like when Icon and Sport and um, Super Brawl used to exist. These are like precursors to, you know, uh, rum well, actually some of them were post rumble on the rock, but they had uh, they had super heavyweight classes and it worked. Okay. There you go. All right. Let's go over to the uh, apathetic Lawler. I don't know if he's talking about Robbie here, but he's got a question. They said, if Dana told you to make a fight that had the possibility to sell 2 million or more pay-per-view buys, what would it be? And they want one answer for active fighters only Oof. and one that potentially could include retired ones coming back out of retirement. And they threw out a couple suggestions. Do you want the suggestions or you just want to field this? Luke? Let me hear the suggestions. Connor versus Islam. Connor right. Habib too. Or Habib versus Islam. All right, apathetic Lawler. Uh, good luck on that one. But uh, yeah. your thoughts on what? I mean, we've had this debate regarding John Jones and Francis Ngannou. I say it's the biggest fight UFC can make for the heavyweight title. Put it in Raiders Stadium. We do have people saying, hey, guys, neither one has been, you know, John had been a consistent pay-per-view draw. Never spectacular, but consistent. Lawler has a very small footprint in the pay-per-view space overall to be, or, or, to, I'm sorry, Ngannou does. To be fair, not Lawler. Um. Do you think, though, that that fight is in this conversation that if promoted, right, if I mean, if there's everything you'd want that could fuel it, that it could get to two million or am I crazy? You're crazy. But let me ask you this question. And you're going to say, oh, no, they wouldn't allow it because he's too old. But the Nevada Commission will allow just about anything. I mean, let's just be honest about that. Like, they're not a great commission. OK, um, what if the UFC finally convinced 
and found a way to get it sanctioned. I'm not doing a bit here. Think about this for a second. What if the UFC got Mike Tyson to make his MMA debut? Right? Wow. Right? It's not, it's it's crazy, it's crazy, but it's not the craziest thing when you really begin to think about how he's still in shape. He just had this exhibition not too long ago against Roy Jones Jr. They would probably give him some other kind of very beatable opponent. Well, Dude, I think a, Mike Tyson- about saying beatable opponent. How about if I insert a Paul brother? What does that do to your uh, scenario? I mean, that would definitely put, I mean, wouldn't that be over 2 million buys? It would be over 2 million buys, wouldn't it? Like, whether you Is like, it, again, this is not a question of, do you like the fight or <clears throat> is it a good fight? Just that it sells 2 million buys. Mike Tyson making his pro debut in, in the UFC and MMA, by the way, alone might do it, although probably not. But then this kind of other component probably puts it over the edge. Yeah. I mean, I think Mike Tyson, which that's when he came back and fought Roy Jones a couple years ago, was the biggest surprise I ever thought, you know, would happen. I thought if anybody was done, it was that guy because he understood so much about what went wrong and keeping that that you know demon inside of him that comes out and fights crazy but he pulled it off he was in great shape it was insane but that casual audience that both mma and boxing promoters are always you know dreaming of cashing into the kind that get you to the two point you know four million for connor habib or the 4.4 million buys for uh for what was that uh was that manny pacquiao wait yeah i'm yeah, and also uh, Connor uh, versus Floyd did in that area as well. Four point six and four point four million, which is just is just ridiculous. Really, it's just it's a ridiculous amount of buys. Mike Tyson's fans, meaning people who are now in their forties and fifties, but grew up with him as an absolute phenomenon. I mean, I almost think that audience is limitless if you can get them hooked. Now, just getting them hooked on the the freak show what would it look like thing i think is is a lot i, th I remember ahead of that roy jones fight a lot of people from my past going oh my god are you into this fight like i mean, you know i didn't even know they were into it but that's the dude that's the last remaining dinosaur that could pull back everybody you put him against a paul brother yeah you're gonna get two million buys look you're gonna do it you're, you're all gonna right but it. current fighters this is hard i don't know it. like someone asked me this question the other day bc which was how would you grade the UFC's year? Now, you would not give it a bad grade. It was a good year. In many ways, it was a good year. But they didn't have any truly blockbuster next-level event. They, they, they didn't have any one million pay-per-view buy, holy shit, tear the house down, biggest thing in sports that weekend kind of moment. So, like, part of that is not because the UFC are bad promoters. They're, they're probably the best promoters in the game. But that there's just not a lot of available permutations that make that work. I I guess you could say 2 million Ronda Rousey versus Gina Carano. Does that, does that get, okay, I don't that, think that gets 2 million. That would not get 2 million. That is the type of interesting sort of reach outside of the box that this question gives you that chance to do. But I do want to stay active fighters and, and say it like this. It's like part of, the, I mean, it's part of the problem I mean, look, first of all, when speaking of this year, if you would have told me ahead of time, hey, BC, John Jones and Conor McGregor will not compete this year, I would I would have been surprised, right? So I would have thought that they had those chances to do huge fights with both, and they would have been huge in any scenario for both. But when you look at it, you can lose too easily in this game. It's really hard to build long win streaks. And when somebody does kind of break through like Usman recently and builds a long win streak or Volkanovski, now it's not a guarantee that they're going to be a slam dunk 
you know, mainstream American audience guarantee to buy. You know, you sometimes need that McGregor hook or just the greatness that John Jones had. And like we said, even with John Jones at the peak of his game, he wasn't an overwhelming pay-per-view brand. I mean, you know, look, to be fair, neither was GSP or Anderson Silva. Like they came up and peaked for certain big fights, but neither ever entered that Floyd and Manny level where no matter who they're fighting, it's a million buys for a stretch. Remember that stretch? Like no yeah. matter who they're fighting, just Didn't to matter. see them, just to see them. Now that's pre-developed stream, illegal streaming and all that, you know, which wasn't as, as prevalent as it is now. Okay. But within fighters that are still there, I, I don't know if you can make one without Connor, as much as I want Jones and, and Ghana to be the biggest thing ever. You might still need Connor. Now, Connor Habib, too, if you could take him out of retirement, you know, even without Connor coming back and getting a win, nostalgically would get you a shit ton of buys. But how much do you think that idea that apathetic Lawler threw out there, which I've thrown out and people hate to hear it, but if Islam can keep winning or forget if he can keep winning, as soon as you can do it, Islam Mahachev versus Connor McGregor, which essentially is trying to play up 1 million percent on the Habib Connor rivalry. Does that actually reach something very large? Or does that just come out, it happens, Connor gets dominated, and then it's like, okay, it did 1.2. That's pretty damn good, man. We don't see that too often. But that's not 2 million buys, you know? Yes. It's just, I think I think the latter is what you're talking about. It, it, it does well. It matters. It's relevant. But it's not, man, two, to sell 2 million pay-per-view buys, I mean, we're talking about, what, a handful in the history of the, of combat sports of combat sports have ever sold that. So I don't, I don't, I just don't think there's any, I mean, maybe I have a poverty of imagination, but I don't think there's any fight between active fighters where you could reasonably get them, you know, cause they're not too far apart in weight class that you get 2 million buys. I don't think it exists right now. All right. I think uh, there's one other one that is uh, my, here's my best answer for you. If you can't get Habib and if you can't build up a Connor Islam rivalry quickly to be, anywhere close to what the Habib Connor rivalry was. What about one night only super fight Connor versus GSP? Does that have the fuel and star power to do a shit ton? I think if Connor came back and looked good, maybe, maybe. Cause you maybe. would be pulling on an older audience that you recommend. You regularly remind me like the people that were diehard MMA fans in 2008, nine, 10, a lot of those people aren't around anymore. No, most of them are gone. And then, by the way, folks watching now, most of you will be gone in five years, too. That's just how the sport goes. So there it is. All right. There, we, we've said it. Uh, what is the biggest women's fight you can make? It's in MMA. It's Rousey Karana, right? Still? Yes. I mean, obviously, Nunes versus Shevchenko is an infinitely more quality fight. Right. But it wouldn't do them. It wouldn't do the buys. Right. No, no, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. All right. Let's see what else we got here. Let's get out of uh, combat for a second, Luke, and welcome in Campbell Parrish, my my brethren here, my cousin, cousin Parrish. Uh, if you could wipe your memory. By the way, I get a lot of hate for my Wakanda Forever was awesome rant. Are you guys serious? It was awesome. Like, really? Is that, is it, that because is there that, was a lot of black people in yeah, it? <laughs> I mean, was this our, our, our P1 Jan 6 audience that has taken issue here? Um, if you could. <laughs> Again, in fairness. The movie does seem like it's polarizing. Like people either come out with your view that it was like fucking great, yeah. or people come out being like, "Man, that was such a letdown." And it it doesn't. It tends to go like, like the, my friend who told me he didn't like it that much. He's black, and he was like, "Yeah, it's not that good." So I, it, I'm 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 kidding everyone out there, but let me let me just amend that quickly on Wakanda. I felt like I mentioned it yesterday or whenever we did. I felt some like sort of like, "Oh my god, I'm a kid again in the theater, and I've lost track of time and space." But some of that is because it felt. 
a little bit like episode four of Star Wars. And I know that's a, a repeated pattern and trope in a lot of these fantasy movies, mm -hmm. superhero movies to try to mimic that that great storytelling and all that. But there's a lot of that crossover. And also the new villain is badass as shit. So watch it for yourself. I, I looked it up. I think the Rotten Tomatoes approval rating right now is like 84%. So, that, I mean, that's pretty good. Pretty all right. Good. But Luke, if you could wipe your memory and experience, if you could wipe your memory standing up. I mean, that's the preferred way, right? I mean, that's the only way to get it truly clean. You know what I mean? Uh, and ex I mean, if you're four years old and experience watching a movie for the first time, what movie would it be and why? You know, Man, this Parrish answer is so fucking easy. This answer is so fucking. Oh, actually, you know what? I have an answer. And then like a and then like a uh, and like a honorary uh, mention. Uh, so the answer is Predator. I mean, whoa, dude, I Predator that. is like I just can't overstate you're how. Right. Okay, where were you? Where were you the first time you saw? It? What was the setting, the age, all that? Give me, give me my the dad. First... This is true. This is true. So this must have been like 1989 or so, 88, because the movie came out in 87. Uh, my dad had a copy of it on Betamax. You remember that shit? Beta, your dad had Betamax, dude. Dude, my that's... dad. I mean, dude, look, look who I am. Ultimate contrarian. You think my dad's gonna buy VHS? And my dad's <laughs> argument, which was correct at the time, which is. Dude, most of the world uses Betamax, which is true. Most of the world did. But most then of the world on the other side out. of the road, Mr. Thomas. Okay, yeah, I thank know, you. I know. Yeah. Do you remember going to the video stores back in the like mid to late 80s? And they, yeah. some places would have Betamax, and they had the giant oh, containers because yeah. the, the tapes were actually much bigger. It's like, um, hey, let's invent a disc that's really big, and it's so expensive, and no one's going to have it a month after it comes out. Yeah, let's call it uh, All right. But the answer is, I, I, my, that was the first R movie my dad ever let me watch. Probably way too early. I was like nine or so, maybe 10 at most, uh, something like that. So I remember that, but I didn't fully appreciate it until I watched it like 20 times later over the course of the next couple of years. And I was like, holy shit, this movie is just better than any of the movie I've ever fucking seen. Now, granted, that's from a 10-year-old's perspective. But even now, like AMC, American Movie Classics, will air that. It's obviously gotten a lot of uh, uh, acclaim for being both like a sort of like action movie but it's also kind of like a slasher flick at the same time and science this, fiction yeah. and science fiction because this 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 sort of like secret villain is killing everyone one by one so it's got a lot of different levels to it it's peak schwarzenegger it's peak 80s it's peak machismo it's just fucking amazing i wish i could get the same first high so to speak that i got from it the first time but the honorable mention would be the matrix i remember watching that by myself one time the when I when I first went to see it in 1999, my friends wanted to go to the movies. It was right off campus, and they did, they couldn't go. So I was like, "Fuck it, I'm just gonna go." And I went. And I was like, "I gotta tell everyone about this movie." Um, okay, that, those that, are that, great that answers, good. man. Wow. Okay, because Predator, you know, I had a similar. It was uh, Jeff Hurd's birthday party at his house, and we watched it in like '88 on VHS. And dude, I I was like scared during it because like you don't know you know now that you know everything, you can look back and watch it a different way. But when you didn't know who that monster was, and it was like. You know, that was a pretty gnarly movie for fourth or fifth grade in terms of blood and stuff. So, yeah, but you're right, dude. That, like, I was changed. I was chilled after watching that. That was intense, man. Similar to Matrix. But if I if I ask myself, like, what, you know, theater experiences moved me the most? It's like Karate Kid. Mm. Star, you know, I didn't see Star Wars Episode Four in the theater, but it'd be hard not to pick that for the answer. Dude, how about Fight Club was one, too, because I was so effed up while watching it in the theater that for like the next six hours, I felt like I was in the movie still. You know, you ever have that? Happen? I still haven't we seen it front to back. Really? We've been over this. Don't you remember? I've seen it. I've seen every scene, but out of order 
because um, okay. I never sat down and watched it front to back. Yeah. Some people can, you know, have the big reveal happen and, and be like, oh, I saw that coming all along. I sometimes have a way of like just staying in, in line with the movie and that movie like Dude, that was a, that was a crazy ass movie. I mean, to, to be fair, people are going to people are going to shit on this. Dude, I was so fired up for Blair Witch movie. Do you remember how like the, the gorilla advertising I've never campaigns? Seen, I was at boot camp when it came out. I've never seen it. All right. So it when we went to see it, because even though the Internet's around, then it was like, what, 97, even though the Internet's around, I didn't have the Internet at home. Like it wasn't everywhere. It wasn't like now it wasn't on your phone. And I wasn't sure entering the theater if this was a documentary or if this was a movie. Like, you know, you there was some of that because of the way they they had real they were really smart in how they uh, promoted this movie to really leave questions. And I and I went there that night and I was freaked out while watching it and I was moved. It's not a movie that you can rewatch a lot. And there were a lot of people who were with me that night in the theater were like, man, this is the stupidest movie ever. I could predict it all. I saw it coming. I don't know. I got enveloped in that. Dude, I think that's a brilliant ass movie. I don't think people realize what it, uh, what it, how different it was and how cool it was. But Luke, my answer is going to be half baked because I have not left in a theater. <coughs> Austin Powers part two is up there too, in terms of just theater, physical laughter. Dude, Half Baked was one of the greatest in movie experiences of all time. I mean, it was like that that humor was just so on time to be a dirtbag and be like 19 and be watching that in the theater. It's just the hardest I've laughed in the theater uh, was when I watched in this was in Valdosta was when I watched Dumb and Dumber with my brother in the movie theaters. That was, I mean, piss your pants level of crying. Uh, it was truly one of the most joyous memories. So I might add I might throw that 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 log onto the fire as well. Uh, do, who do you think won that movie, Lloyd Christmas or the other guy? I was always a Jim Carrey guy, but Jeff Daniels uh, really is such a well-rounded and funny actor when he when he needs to be. Um, they do they were pretty equal, man. Like that movie doesn't work if they're not relatively equal, right? If kinda it's like, one kind of shit like on MK, the other, right? Kind of like that's right. It has to be a certain level of balance one way or the other. Wow, wow! It took me a while. It took me a few documentaries to realize that, Luke. Okay. <laughs> Oh, yeah. All right. Hey, let's stay off combat for a second. Uh, this is Jesus 28. Uh, would you rather be able to play every instrument in the world really well or be fluent in every single language? Luke, I feel like this is a question that would keep you up at night debating. This is an easy answer. Really? Easy. Yeah. I'll take every language fluency. I knew you were going to take that absolute bullshit, Luke. Why? What do I need to play the drums and the fucking flute for? I don't give do a shit. Do you realize if you were one of those geniuses, and I know, you know, there's a lot of them, right? There's people that can just pick up any instrument. They know music so well. They can play it off their ear. They could just do anything with anything. They're brilliant. They are the geniuses of this world. My mind does not work that way. Dude, forget. I, I would trade the ability to speak for the ability to play every single instrument awesome. Oh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't give $5 for that. I mean low priority for me dude the level of i just can't explain to you man there this is the best way i can tell you as someone who's like trying to struggle through a language when you begin to get a little bit of depth in that language it is unlocking a new world it, it doesn't feel that way it feels like well it's just saying the same things i would say in english but it doesn't work that way language is a passport to culture language is a passport to 
new relationships, new people, new identities, new places in ways that simply getting it translated for you, it doesn't give you access, dude. Like when I go down to Colombia and I'm with my wife's family, when I speak a little bit of Spanish, I just, it's hard to explain to you to really feel it. Doors open for you and they get, you get invited places and things they, they're just, there's so much more access to things by virtue of having any kind of proficiency in language that is just mind altering. And so to have the ability to speak Chinese, the ability to speak Japanese, the ability to speak Arabic, these languages that cover vast swaths of human population, you would be unlocking access to people and cultures and histories and places that you just can't get without that language proficiency. Wow. You just can't well, get. You gave the like the intelligent world culture answer. I gave the like ignorant American living in his own bubble answer. But I think the root or the end game, if you will, in both of our answers involves having a superhuman ability to collect more pun punati. <laughs> so if Jesus 28's question came with a time machine and we could go back <laughs> to like age 22 with this question, which of us does better? If I was 22, the answer would be instruments. That's what I'm oh, saying. I still yeah. think even if you could go to any country and talk your way into a into a session, Luke, I feel like I don't I the internet I could just play the international language of love on guitar, Luke, and just you know what I'm saying? You could, you could. If I was 22 and I was interested in just like showing off showing off for people and trying to get as much, you know, the, of the sweet tang as possible. Uh you know, being able to jam on the guitar is very valuable. But now that I'm older a little bit, man, I wish I could speak more languages. I That's uh, a major life regret. I wish I could be in a band like the band where, you know, there's not one Take true leader. Off, yeah, but like everybody could kind of play and sing and write me. I want to be in one of those collectives where I could jump around on instruments. I mean, look, I would, man, if I could just reinvent myself and maybe be born in like 1952 and come up in the 60s and 70s, Luke, I, you know what I would do? I would just learn how to play every instrument, and then I'd just bang and bell bottoms. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just, you know. well, uh, Dude, half of MK revolves around us wishing we could be different people than we are so we could have fucked more chicks as we grew up. Ah, that's a generalization, to be fair. Okay, that's, that's not really the reality of the situation. All right, let's go back into uh, combat, Luke, because that's you know what we're the best in the world at. Um, I've got a guy named Johnny Ruckus, and he says, Luke, should judges score rounds 9-9 if nothing of note happens? And I think what he really means to say 10-10 is what he seems to say. Yes. So, Luke, you know that I'm friends with some boxing judges that are very high profile and that they tell me they are dis heavily dissuaded from ever doing a 10-10 round by most state commissions. Like, like heavily dissuaded. Like, I don't care if no one threw a punch. Pick a winner. In MMA, though, it's a little bit different. Would you feel a 10-10 round could help the sport rather than hurt it? When you say help, what does that mean? Well, I mean, that's why he's asking. Should 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 more? But like should we have to define the terms of help. So does help mean that you finally have a scorecard that you feel like more accurately reflects what happened in the fight? Then I think yes. a 10-10 is probably helpful. However, one of the potential downsides that you have to consider is this could fuck up scorecards in a way that we're not really uh, ready for or accepting and creates many men. Like, like imagine if we had three or four X, and this is probably not true, but just imagine we had three or four X the number of draws. I don't think people would be thinking of that as help, right? So if it had that kind of an effect, that doesn't help the sport really in any kind of meaningful way. 
So, like, in theory, I definitely get what people are talking about. It's like, dude, what the fuck happened in that round? I'm going to give it to one person based off a bullshit punch that blah, 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 blah. Like, it's a, the, the flimsiest of margins. I get, I get being apprehensive about that. But this is what I always say, dude. This is what I fucking always say. When the UFC goes to, to places where they self-regulate, or really any promotion, any major promotion, they are in a place where they self-regulate. They need to take advantage of that and start experimenting with the rules. I talk about this all the time, BC, which is the NFL between seasons, because they are not regulated by some government entity. Of course, there are other there are other ways that, that rules get changed and they have their own procedures for it. But if they want to move make the goalposts wider, or if they want to change the kickoff rule, and you know, the person has to catch it on the 40 or whatever, whatever kind of rule, they can tinker with the format between seasons and then see what happens and then keep it or adjust it as a consequence, they can make adjustments. MMA, because we've just given the rules to the Department of Motor Vehicles, basically, we have to sit there and take a number and wait and it takes forever and it's uneven and we just don't know. We need people who have the liberty and the freedom to experiment to do just that. I think you need an entirely new scoring system that's not 10-9 boxing based and is more based on I mean, look, when you how amateur wrestling is scored on points you acquire throughout by doing things, could there be a future in MMA for that? So I asked um, the famous former UFC commentator, Olympic gold medalist, rest in peace, Jeff Blatnick, before he died, that exact question. And of course, you know, he came from wrestling where, you know, five points for a major throw, two points for a takedown, one point in college anyway for an escape and or a push out or whatever. And um, he said, no, you would never want to do that. And his argument was, because MMA involves so many disparate composite sports of sambo and judo and wrestling, kickboxing, blah, 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 all the different stuff, that you want some creative expression as a consequence. And if you put a point system on it, you would lose the creative expression. That's a good point. So I think he's probably right. And you could also see people try to build leads with one dominant thing they're good at and just, you know, if a takedown's worth, you know, five points, just constantly take down back up. You, know, you right. wouldn't want a manipulation of the game you know, even further, if we already sometimes don't like when people are too wrestling heavy. Um, all right. That's a fair, that's a fair statement right there. Let's keep the combat questions rolling. I've got a guy named OG Blackfoot. Now, do you think that the uh, <laughs> foot became that way over time due to abuse and uh, disuse Luke, or what, how do you think like what happened here? Cause remember in uh, what's that Adam Sandler movie, Mr. Deeds, when Steve Buscemi's uh, character had that black toe foot issue, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I've never seen Mr. Deeds. Oh, it's so underrated. It really is. I mean, it's not. It's not I up don't to the believe level. That. It's not up to the level of the Water Boy and the Billy Madison and the Cl Happy Gilmore classics. But it's for for second generation Sandler. It's it's really good. Okay, but here's the question from good old OG Blackfoot. Aside from footwork, what can Izzy do to mitigate the power of Poitan? Alex is so good in close. Clinching seems to be dicey, dicey. Uh, wow, <laughs> really? <laughs> Going to add that at the end? Uh, Luke, I assume they're talking about a potential rematch here for the middleweight championship. What can Izzy do to mitigate the power of Pereira? How do you mitigate the power of Pereira uh, aside from either blocking a strike before it lands or stopping him from throwing it? That you can't. I mean, his power is his power. Um, OG wants wants us to say, well, how about stomping him till he gets a black foot? Like that's what he wants us to say. Yeah, I don't think you could stomp his way through. I mean, you know, for me, I said this before, I, I'm kind of repeating myself here a little bit. Like Izzy's footwork is great. His lateral movement is great. And if he was compromised by the calf kicks, and that was what it was. But I'm still going to go back to it. Like, I I like Izzy as a person and as a champ more than I've liked most fighters, like by a long stretch. 
But at the same time, you know, I try to recognize his weaknesses as best I can. And I do think the fact that he doesn't have offensive wrestling in his back pocket in a better way it really hurt him in that fight. I know everyone wants to make it about the calf kicks. Yeah. But um, I, I, I tend to think if you could reliably get the takedown, people are like, well, how do you know how good Pereira's takedown defense is? You're right. To that point, it's somewhat unclear. But to the extent it's been tested, it hasn't looked very good. Um, and so I tend to think that was something there for the taking. And uh, I think that's a great way to mitigate it. You know, now, if he had great takedown defense, then I really don't know what the answer is. You know, if he's hard, if he's like, is he's hard to take down uh, against yeah, the fence is. anyway? Um, but yeah, I don't, if you have a better answer, I'd, be, I'd love to hear it. Well, first, Mikey dead wronged me. Well done, Mikey, in midtime. Uh, Adam Sandler had the black foot. Uh, Buscemi had the weird eyes, the crazy eyes, excuse me, Luke. And the butler, um, remember he hits. Oh, you didn't see the movie. Okay, yeah, spoiler alert. Uh, regarding Adesonia, though, Luke, um, yeah, I mean, you know what worked against Pareda? Pareda, Pareda, yeah. Um, exactly what Izzy did for four plus rounds, with the exception of getting slowed by the calf kick. So it's a major exception, right? Because you know, Izzy to hang close enough, and Izzy wasn't trying to be a counter puncher. He wasn't hanging back, dude. He was, he was coming. I mean, look, that was a that fight was, it was a fun fight, right? It was, a, it was a good ass fight. Um, and I think that's what's fueling Izzy's confidence. We, I talked about when, when Ariel interviewed him after the fight and people are like, hey, BC, he was delusional. No, I just think he's really confident and knows that for the most part, he's got Pareda figured out. Seriously, for the most part, he does. For the most part, he does. That's true. But trying to execute that is where it's not easy because Alex, let's give him credit, is uniquely great. Some of the things we don't have full answers yet. We've had that debate before, but he's uniquely great in some very scary areas that makes it hard. But Luke, would you identify as legally as an Adesonia simp or just an appreciator? Um, I mean, it depends what you, that's a better question for other people. I'm sure that they would accuse me of being a simp because, you know, they read at a third grade level. So, yeah, but when Ariel came at him, like, you know, Israel, people are mad at me for saying this, but that stoppage was bad, blah, blah, blah. That was very simpy. Okay. I didn't see that. Um, yeah. I didn't think it was, I didn't think it was a bad stoppage. Did you? No, it was right on. It was fine. Dude, the guy's yeah. hanging over with his, like, I mean, he's getting lit up. I mean, it's just, you know, we all want every fight and we want, we want every fight to be a no until they're dead, but I mean, look, which reminds me, if you haven't seen replays of like really big boxing matches from like the 40s, 50s, 60s lately, dude, they were way more brutal back then. You know what I'm saying? Like in terms of like you're knocked down, but you're back up. There's no checking system. If you're back up, you're back up and they send you back out there. And, you know, depending on how far you go back, sometimes boxers were allowed to stand way closer to the down fighter than the neutral corner idea. So it's like all that stuff changed over the years, like for a reason, for a major reason, right? It's already brutal enough. You don't need these, you know, built-in things right there. Even in a championship fight, even in the fifth round, if somebody's just getting lit up and they're not firing back, they're trying to defend, but they're just getting, when your body language is, is like mannequin, dude, Pinocchio, like you're going to get stopped by a referee. It's just what it is, you know? Yeah. I mean, you can make combat sports to be, have more finality. You know, you can go back to 15 rounds in boxing and stuff like that, but you're just going to get a lot more people hurt. So like, well, you they're going to give away their career in one night. A lot of people. That's will, right. right. I mean, so, so like you kind of have to sacrifice a little bit of direct clarity for health and safety and that, that getting that line right is not easy, but pushing it more towards health and safety is long-term much better. Yeah. Luke, how would you rate our questions from our fans at up to this point out of, you know, out of a 10, 10 point muscles? I give it a, I give a solid. Eight and a half, maybe nine. Okay. That's pretty decent. good questions. That's decent. All right, here we go. Let's go over to some random questions here from Michael. How much money 
would it take to have Luke fight Dan Snyder uninterrupted for a maximum of five minutes on the streets of Washington, D.C.? I don't uh, as I mean, much money as it would take to exonerate me legally. That's it. Yeah, I don't really I think do you it. Can... I do it for free as a public service. So like in his in his way of thinking about this, he's basically saying how much money would it take to get Dan Snyder to agree? Oh, uh, I mean, if Bezos came out and was like, I'll give you two X, the highest value appraisal of the team to fight. Luke Thomas. To yeah. Fight on Luke morning combat. Yeah. On the street, <laughs> Rocky five all over again. Yeah. Weird. So question like if you offered him Michael. 15 billion for the, for the commanders, would he take it? Uh, you know, okay. for that real question. Here you go. This will define who you are as a man. Okay. Cause it's a lot easy to talk that game. But let's say you are walking around D.C. with Tukey and your lovely wife, and it's just, you know, your guys are out for the day. You turn the corner to go back in the parking lot to your car, and Daniel Snyder standing right there, and he just gets off a cell phone call, and he's in a hurry, and you're going to cross right past him in the alley on your way oh, to the Oh, I would definitely garage. tell him, fuck you. I would you would just look, I've you'd done, be like, I've done that, me, dude. Fuck People you. do that to politicians in town all the time, all the time. It's so very. So, who have common. you done that to? Will you reveal who you've done that to? Uh, I did it to John Bolton one time as he was walking down the street. Did it to John Bolton. What'd you I say? Gave, to him? What'd you say uh, to him? You know, Luke? Uh, what did I say to John Bolton? This was years ago. Uh, I think I just said, "Hey, fuck you." Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hey, John, fuck you. Um, uh, I've seen guys, you know. Uh, do worse than that uh, when politicians are out, oh, dude. I've seen I've seen uh, Ted Cruz get heckled. I mean, that's not a big deal. You see that motherfucker get heckled all the time. Um, but I've but seen in him front heckled. of your wife and kid, you'd be like, "Hey, Dan Snyder, like, thanks for ruining my childhood." Fuck yeah, you. yeah, yeah, yeah. And he'd I mean, be like, "What about those rings? What about Joe Riggs, bro? Yeah, what about yeah, Joe, Joe Riggs? What about Joe Riggs?" I'm thinking, uh, who's wasn't there a fullback Riggins, named Riggins? John Riggins. No, I'm thinking of. Uh, who was the other back when Ernest Biner was a halfback? Who was like the power back they brought in? Gerald Riggs. There it is. Gerald Riggs. Oh, okay. Right? Uh, you know, I was a big Art Monk guy. I was a big Art Monk guy. But okay. um, when I was a kid. But here's one thing you got you to appreciate about Dan Snyder that like doesn't exist. Uh, or I should say that is so unusual. You got to do this is a town. You got to remember, right? Like where anyone who like, why do politicians run for office? Oh, I want to do good for the people. Get the fuck out of here. I mean, that's a little bit of that, but mostly it's because they want to be seen and heard and praised and, and on TV. And they've got some insatiable internal desire to control other people and make a big show of it. They want to be seen. This is a town where like there's maximum pressure on being seen. Who's at the parties? Who's at the ball? Who's at the gala? Who's at this place? Who's at that place? It's maximum pressure. And Dan Snyder is never at any of these things because he is reviled by everybody. You've never seen him. Like, think about this. You see Bezos walk red carpets of like the Kennedy Center opening, blah, 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 or whatever. You never see Dan Snyder at these things ever. He is persona non grata. You don't have any cross paths kind of moment with him ever. And you do for like lots of other people who are out and about in town. Um, so he's he's... He is like, you know, there's a lot of people who are hated in this town, but like by every measurement, I don't know of a single person who likes Dan Snyder, Republican, Democrat, left, right, you name it. There is one thing that unites this town and it's fuck that guy. Wow. Wow. Um, you know, I've told you before about like when you grow up going to the baseball games and the bleachers in Yankee Stadium, you you develop you know, or just New York in general, you develop uh, what you believe a, a general attitude and, and demeanor that you can be at a sporting event that's normal to you, but to other people is like 
the hell is wrong with you? And, you know, in the Wrigley Field bleachers, when I said those things about Jim Edmonds' mom in 2001, I got, you know, I got sold out by by the Cubs fans and got, you know, yelled at by security and threatened to throw it out. So I got an introduction that the rest of the world isn't this way. But, I mean, like, it was just right of passage. If I went to a minor league baseball game, you would get drunk, try to go near the bullpen, and try to entice one of the pitchers to fight you, right? That's just, like, what you did, right? So I, um, I was at the 2002 NBA draft at the uh, theater at Madison Square Garden I, with cousin Tim and I waited out all day for tickets. And, you know, when Yao Ming got drafted number one and he was like up on the video screen with his family in China with like a video feed. And, you know, we just kept giving him the, the, the finger and like swearing him out because he wasn't American. And that was ignorant, Luke. But then when you remember um, Jervis Peterson from um, uh, season one of Survivor, Jervis Patterson, remember that guy? No. He was the black guy in season one of Survivor. Real nice guy. He was randomly there in the crowd. And I like called him over. I was like, yo, Jervis, come over here, man. And I was like, yo, your 15 minutes of fame just ended. Best of luck to you. You know, it's like a, that was a dick move, Luke. I felt really. Yeah, that was a dick move. I See, it's, really one thing to heckle, it's one thing to heckle politicians who get us into war like I did. And then you just out there heckling dudes doing their job for a sports team. Yeah. I mean, I did get Jose Mesa when he was a reliever for the Phillies to, to get me uh, removed from, from the bleachers. At What's, who's Stadium. the most famous person you just bumped into? And, and you can't count like something at a boxing event, like something unrelated. And I'm sorry, by the way, to Yao Ming for, for uh, cheering and booing him just for not being American. But Luke, that was a different time in my life. Okay. Um, okay. Outside of being at an event, outside of going to like, NBA All-Star Weekend and hanging out by the hotel to try to run into, you know, you're talking about a random in-person moment. Yeah, just like you were you were out with the family on va- a day or a vacation or something, and boom, there they are. Man, I don't have great answers for that. Um, when I, I went to the airport in seventh grade, uh, JFK Airport, and the New York Jets were there flying commercial, and they there was a long line of them outside of, like, the newsstand before they got in the plane, and I got to, like, wait in line and get an autograph from everybody. But they were probably, like, 3-13 and 13 that year and sucked with, like, Ken O'Brien and Freeman McNeil. So, you know, it wasn't, like, overly exciting. Um, yeah, I don't have a great answer. Did you randomly run into somebody as a kid? Like, some people met Hulk Hogan in an airport in, like, 1986, and I thought they, like, you know, met Jesus or something, you know? Uh, I don't have anything major quite like that. Um, See, all of my celebrity encounters, I shouldn't say all, but the vast majority have happened, obviously, through this job. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of, like, somebody real big that we ran into. I'd have to to noodle it. I'd have to noodle it. I don't remember offhand. Well, when I was flying for this job that time in first class, when I had the lay-down seat with the bed... I told you I had Damon Wayne's behind me and Flavor Flav two seats over to the left. That was that was pretty cool, you know. I, well, this isn't so much a celebrity encounter, but I one time took a commercial flight with uh, some WNBA team, the Lynx. I think yes. I don't know who they play for. Minnesota Lynx, yeah. Minnesota Lynx, and you know I feel like I can say this because I have seen numerous female soccer journalists put together long threads of who the hottest men, men are at the World Cup, but I couldn't believe like dude, you know, we, we everyone jokes about the WNBA. I, I couldn't believe these women were like very attractive, like numerous versions of them. I was like, wow, this is, and they're all, they were all taller than me too, by the way. So would it have been uh, extra native tongues or an ability to play guitar in that moment that could have gotten you to the finish line? See, well, 
I, you know, if I had a good French, I could have gone up to them and been like Pepe Le Pew, except hands off. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay, there you go with that one. Uh, Luke, I still feel bad that I clowned Jervis like that and that I told many minor league pitchers that they'll never go anywhere in life and they'll end up sitting next to me. And you know what I mean? I mean, you, there is a you know a time in your life when you look back, you're like, man, I was a dick for no reason, just trying to fit in, just trying to belong, you know? It's how I was raised, Luke. Do we were raised in a culture of just absolutely abusing athletes. Yes. Or each other on a regular basis. Yeah, or each other. That's true. Uh, let's go back to combat here. I've got one from Will Holden one. He says top three all-time boxers best suited for success in MMA. Now that's, I don't always love that question. It's like, how do we know if a boxer? I, I feel like I have a decent MMA? read on this. I feel like I do. I mean, is it based on them? Ha- you know, Oh, that boxer has a wrestling background. So it's definitely him. Is it based on well, that? In that case, it'd be Bud Crawford, right? Bud Crawford would be the, would be the answer, but I actually don't think that here's what I, here's what I think. I when I think of somebody who's got a boxing style that would translate to MMA and then you could build the other components around like do they have the like what's a good natural ingredient to have in boxers I'm going to say boxers who are fleet of foot like really good footwork and have some pop if you're like so for example in a way in a way again who knows how well he would get the wrestling or the jiu-jitsu you don't know but I feel like his striking style would work real well for MMA given all the things he can do. Yeah, right? that's fair. That's fair. I just think it's a it's a hard question to answer unless you're like, well, hey, didn't Ruguru used to train with MMA? Him, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, like a little bit. But wouldn't the answer be Bud Crawford or even like a Kermit Centron before he got completely yeah. washed? Didn't yeah. Kermit? Didn't Kermit like uh, wrestle? He had a good enough wrestling background, but when he was throwing out the idea, that was like you know 2006, back when MMA was at such a still infantile process that the idea of transitioning because you had you know two foundational skills in his case with wrestling and boxing. Back then, we would be like, yeah, let's see it, man. Nowadays, you'd still have doubts, right? Legit doubts. I mean, let's give credit to what Clarissa Shields is trying, but still, you'd have doubts. Um, All right, Luke, let's hear from uh, right and wrong. Christian Lee of one championship, you know, the new two-division title holder. He called out Islam Mahachev this week. Any dream cross-promotion matchups for 2023, question mark? What would it take? to get Dana to allow a cross-promotion uh, with another organization. So we are going to see cross-promotion New Year's Eve between uh, Ryzen and uh, Bellator, Bellator, so that's mm-hmm. awesome. But, Luke, let's start off with the latter part of that question. What would it take? What, what literally would have to happen for Dana White to entertain a cross-promotion MMA fight with another organization? I'm not talking about yeah. Connor boxing Floyd. I'm talking about, yeah. like, you know, you know what I mean here. It would take him not being a member of the organization and for their culture to completely change. I mean, it's not, it's, I cannot overstate this. It's not possible. It's not possible. Like why on earth would a monopoly? uh, Okay. The last time it almost happened. And this is the reason why it didn't happen was when Fedor Emelianenko was secretly negotiating with UFC, right? To fight Randy. No, there was a time before that when pride was still thriving when Chuck went over to compete, I think the 2003 Right, middleweight right. Grand Prix or whatever it was, and like, uh, he got he got wrecked by Rampage. But like the last time that it was like a discussion, could it happen? And it didn't probably exactly because of that, because UFC wasn't willing to co-promote with M1 in in Vidummy, as he used to call him, uh, like Scott Coker was at the time. So yeah, I mean they would have to either lose their market share to a level where it would be something that would make sense for them. But what about that other thing? What if there is a phenomenon? What if the Tiger Woods of MMA comes? And what if that fighter, it doesn't look at like, well, hey, I'll win all these titles elsewhere and then I'll go to the UFC. Instead instead says, 
I know who I am. I'm, I'm, I could be the all time great. I'm an alien, right? I'm Tiger Woods meets, you know, whomever. Um, you got to come to me. Could somebody ever get that famous where the UFC's like, all right, we'll put our best fighter up against him in a cross promotion? Two network favorites. Only if they that only if they then signed him. Like only if they're like, for example, you did an interview with DeRitter. Like, yeah. So let's imagine the UFC was like, holy shit, we got to get this guy. They would sign him and then put him against their best. They wouldn't put their best against him as a member of another organization. It's just not going to happen. I know it, it sounds fun. Now, I will say it probably also won't happen, but much more on the table would be Bellator versus PFL or PFL versus one or some combination therein. More peer-to-peer -peer organization. But like Bellator and One and PFL, they're not peers with UFC. They're not. They they can have divisions that are like rivally good. Like they're they're two hundred five and Bellator is obviously very very good. That can rival or whatever. But like as an organization in totality, no, nobody can. It's not possible. I'm I'm wondering and doubting though under my fake scenario there if if just being the next Tiger Woods of this sport, right? Just being, which is a lot. Like when when it when it when um when when AJ McKee beat Pipple. There was that like feeling for a moment, like, oh my God, like how, like, is this guy, you mm -hmm. know, really going to be the Mayweather of MMA? Like he says, he well, that's a huge win. And obviously, you know, he's human, by the way. He's also still great. But is it enough to just be that under this scenario to get the UFC's attention, even with your scenario that, okay, we'll do one crow promotion, and then you sign with us? Or does that person also have to be a celebrity elsewhere? Do they have to be like LeBron James's son? Or do they have to be like, you know, you so here's, here's something to think about. Imagine if the UFC really wanted to get into China or something, or even just like Japan. I mean, they're already in Japan, but you know, imagine if there was so for here's again, I'm not a pro wrestling guy, but as I understand it, Kazushi Sakuraba was a big deal for a couple of reasons. One was he was obviously very good and he was beating all the Gracies. They took they called him the Gracie Hunter, all this stuff. But he was equally famous in pro wrestling. And the way someone explained it to me at the time was, imagine if Hulk Hogan at his peak or something near it, because we grew up in the 80s when Hulk Hogan was like a cultural phenomenon. When uh, he liked black he, people, yeah. Yeah, before he realized that, you know, he was just going to bang his friends' wives and shit. Um, but back then, he was a huge... I mean, dude, Hulk Hogan was massively popular in the 80s, okay? My understanding was Sakuraba occupied a space where he was like, imagine if Hulk Hogan went and did MMA and was actually like kicking everyone's ass at it. You know, that's the kind of equivalent that Sakuraba was. Yeah. Now, maybe, maybe if the UFC was trying to get into a, uh, some kind of market, China or whatever, and some organization had this guy, right? That was just, I mean, the door that, uh, the key that unlocked every fucking door they could possibly want. Under that scenario, maybe, 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 maybe something could be worked out. But even then, what I think they would do is just try and sign the guy away. I really do. All right. To close up right and wrong's question, I want to ask you, what, what would be your dream cross-promotion matchup if no red tape existed for next year? What's the one fight with people in separate organizations that would get you the most fired up? Nemkov versus DeRitter would be... Wow, I didn't. Well, that's I mean, a curveball. Damn. Wow. Okay. Nemkov versus DeRitter would be fucking awesome. I, that would be just be a sick, sick fight. Um, who? That's a great question. Um, dude, DeRitter's really good. Now my yeah, he's people have just have no idea how good he is. He's yeah. He's eventually probably going to sign with UFC, and he's going to smoke some people's uh, best best fighters uh, that they love. Um. Ooh. What about UBC as I noodle this through? What else stands out to you? You know, uh, Stamp Fairtex versus uh, 
Cheyenne Warrior Princess would be a hell of a cross-promotion fight. Luke, it'd be a war. Uh, no, um, you know, I mean, right, you know, right, Usman Nurmagomedov is going to enter this uh, equation soon, you would, you could assume, you know, um, as much Pit, as Pit, I want. Pitbull versus Volkanovski would be fun. Yeah, be exactly. Fun. That would be amazing. Um, I would favor Volkanovski to win, but I, Pitbull is not to be trifled with. Like, that's a good fight. Kayla, Amanda would be hella interesting yep. Yep. I'd be sized. or even pitbull max holloway i'd be sized for both of those yeah yeah indeed all right thank you right and wrong look i don't want to stop don't make me stop we can I'm do a little bit more all right good thank you i'm glad you give, we're willing to give this to the fans for their holiday uh here let's go back to random here uh this is from melissa what would be your life's soundtrack you get to choose your top three songs only uh how do you define what she's actually asking here luke i come blood fucked with a knife and uh and uh uh walking death terror and i touch myself oh excuse me death walking yeah. terror what am i saying <laughs> i touch myself by the divinals would also be a big part of your uh the soundtrack of your life luke the soundtrack of my life like if i'm thinking about like the most popular songs that i listen to through big stages of my life does that count well that's why i asked you for a definition does it mean like if you picked my way by sinatra does that you know that song defines what i did in my life no one told me what to do right fuck them i get that or does it mean what you're saying what would what would be the per like you know semi charm life by you know by third eye blind luke could be a soundtrack track for my life no question about it all right um I don't even know how to answer this in that way. I will say, BC, let me ask, let me flip this question a little bit. What is a song that you really, I mean, really love? Like it actually like means a lot to you that I would be surprised to learn. I have an answer for you that I think you might. Well, might we did like. this. This was a question of us at one of these type of videos a year ago. And we both ranked in the moment, you know, songs that lyrics, it, well, it was, it was worded under the way that like lyrically what songs just move you and inspire you or whatever. What is your answer? What are you? Let me. So let me the answer would be like going. Morrissey's obviously a jackass or whatever. Yeah, but yeah. Um, how soon is now by the Smiths? Man, I love. I don't that know story. that one. I don't know. That you one. don't know how soon is now. I never got into Morrissey or the Smiths. Or Dude, I, you know, I, I, I am human and I and I need to be loved. I mean, I'm just getting. I'm just discovering new wave right now. The first two REM records are insane, Luke. I mean, they're, the best. Dude, they're night, amazing. Night Swimming by REM is also one of my favorite, um, favorite, fans, favorite songs. I thought I knew who R.E.M. was. I had no freaking idea. The first dude, they're talented. Dude, they're from harsh. Athens, Georgia. And Athens, Georgia is like, it's a, it's not quite right, but it's a little bit like, not. it's like Austin, Texas 10 years ago. It's got a music scene and like all of this like, you know, cultural stuff happening in this little hub inside Georgia connected to the university and everything. Uh, that's where they're from. That's where R.E.M. is from. They're from Athens. Like it's, uh, dude, R.E.M. is great. They're great. So uh, people have to understand. It was very easy our age. Now, I didn't come from Georgia to hate R.E.M. Because the first time I probably really knew them was that early 90s MTV commercial run where Michael Stipes being, you know, the a champion of everything at a time where it was hard to do that. And I think some of their singles at the time that were big radio or, or video hits were they sucked. You know what I mean? They were like they were lame at that moment. You know, when I was yes. a, I don't want to hear losing my religion when I was 12. Now I appreciate the shit out of the, the instrumentation in that song and the deep message that, you know, is about relationships not actually about religion but um you know i mean everybody heard so it was like that's the only thing you knew of them they were easy to hate because they like a lot of great bands that have endured they've gone to different lanes genre wise but you know if you're already an rem fan you know how brilliant they are but holy shit those first two records are just they're just different man there's an energy to them they're they don't sound of their time even though they are they really just sound, it's just but um there's a track by uh separately from this conversation by ryan adams called um 
winding wheel, my winding wheel, that 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 it would be a soundtrack for me. That the, the lyrics could move me to tears, that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm a big sap, Luke. There's a lot of great, great songs lyrically that can just you know take me there. But uh, yeah, I, that's probably just sad, sappy stuff. You know, I mean, like I'm post breakup music. Post, there's nothing better than post breakup music. There's nothing better than even when you're in there's a good nothing spot. Worse, man. I'm happily married. Yet if I hear the perfect post breakup song that like you know triggers something from like 2003 you're just like uh yeah you're back in the fetal position luke you know that's very emo of me i know that okay luke but i try to show what, all what's sides. what's like what's a post breakup song you played over and over again so many of them okay so, so many my, of them. my big one was you're gonna laugh at this but it, and it wasn't on purpose it just kind of found you know some stuff just finds you and you're it yeah. just sticks uh beethoven's ode to joy as a post breakup song, oh, I was thinking more like, yeah, more. Yeah, like, but if you think about it, it's got this. If you've ever heard it done by an orchestra, it starts off real. Uh, it's just like a, almost like the bass line begins to, you know, nobody knew heartbreak like Beethoven. You know what I mean? He knew what it was like to deal with bitches. You know, he just he was on top of that. That was that was the secret to his music. You play chords, it explains why. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Beethoven's "Ode to Joy" was a big one for me. Um, yeah, I mean, I could name some sappy stuff but you'd probably think i'm lamer than i already am so let's keep this conversation moving because i'm going to lose you eventually and then this video is going to end luke that's right eventually i'm going to be like hey i got to go do my other job even though i have yeah i go chip my pants or something there um let's go over here to amadeus xlo is carl from the walking dead the worst character to appear in a serialized show if not then who i've never seen the walking dead so you're gonna have to handle this luke okay so i mean again someone who's gonna who read the comics and be like well that's not what happened in new comics blah, blah, blah. don't give a fuck i'm not reading a zombie comic book fuck your life okay and if you did you could have spent your time better just eating paint chips or you know committing murders it would have been a better use of your time anyway so i've only ever seen the show okay carl was the son of basically the main the main protagonist um and the main protagonist this dude i can't explain to you so stressed out so beat up from life losing loved ones left and right and his son was a bitch ass teenage whiner and a half again they say in the comics that wasn't really the case but in the tv show dude every fucking week every fucking week i would tune in and be like please let the zombies eat this motherfucker today please get rid of this freeloading piece of shit you know what i mean yeah him is the fucking worst but there was another guy early on now the zombies did eat his bitch ass there was an old guy in like seasons like one through three i want to say when they were still outside of atlanta trying to get to the cdc there was this old dude and all he ever did all he ever did was complain that you know carl's dad's name is rick that rick's plans weren't this they weren't that this isn't gonna work Never had a constructive solution, never lifted a glove, nothing. And the zombies ate him. I remember when the zombies ate NBC, I was on my feet being like, yes, fucking tear this motherfucker's guts out. Fuck this guy. Finally, fuck him. Finally, wow. finally, finally. Uh, Mikey offering Skylar from Breaking Bad as an awful People character. hated Skylar. I, I got to tell you, I didn't love her. Don't get me wrong. I didn't think she was a great character, but I'm going to call bullshit on this one. I think people hate Skylar because they hate women. I really believe that. Wow. What about me saying uh, Meatball Molly during uh, Patty Pimblet fights? <laughs> Dude, she was enjoying her. I mean, it's not for me either, but she was enjoying herself. You're just a hater. I'm uh, just joking with you right there. Uh, but yeah. Did you I never mean, see, bro, hold on, back up a step. Did you never see Breaking Bad? 
So, um, my, my, you know, uh, my good friend, Eric Raskin from the Showtime Boxing Podcast, Raskin and Mulvaney, he and Bill Detloff, another great boxing writer, podcaster, they did a, uh, a podcast for every single, I think, Breaking Bad episode. So I was like, I love their podcast work together. So I wanted to do that. So I got all hyped up. I'm like, I'm going to do Breaking Bad. I don't know what happened to me, dude. I watched an episode and a half and it's not like I didn't like it, but for some reason I just felt like it, it wasn't continue, yeah. enough for me where I'm ready to actually go all in and watch every single episode and listen to the podcast after each episode and just get all jacked up. Like I, I think I just finished watching the wire from start to finish for like the third the wire time. is a hard act to follow. So I was like, understand. I'm ready for the next drug. Let's do it. Yeah, you know? And yeah. um, I probably uh, listen, still owe it. Listen, um, listen, I'll say this breaking bad. It's the wire is a hard act to follow. It's a really hard act to follow, but Breaking Bad's good, dude. It's really good. I really enjoyed it. My wife really enjoyed it. It's probably the favorite. It's probably my favorite show that my wife and I watched together. Yeah. Um, we were sad when it ended. And here's the thing. It's like, dude, Skylar was annoying, but she was like trying to hold the family together while this guy was out there just cooking meth. <laughs> and, you know, and he like she was trying to get in the way of that in ways she didn't quite understand. Like nothing ever made sense to her. But like in the end, in she cheated on him. Oh, that's right. She did cheat on him. Yeah, but dude, he was an absent dude. Walter White. People want to make Walter White to be some hero. Walter White was a bad person. He was a bad father. He was a bad husband. He tried to put money together for them, which I think they got very little of in the end, and maybe nothing in the end. He eventually abandoned them and then fucking died. Like, like here, the true the, the true story of Breaking Bad was this guy who had been shit on in life and didn't get the big breaks he deserved, got a cancer diagnosis, and then decided he wanted to cook meth or stumbled into cooking meth and then realized it would be lucrative and did that as a way to take care of his family. But he turns from that into just a drug kingpin who would just kill anyone who got in his way and turn into a bad person. And he ran over his family in the end. So in the end, Skylar was annoying. She was annoying, but she got fucked over. Like she got majorly, the character got majorly fucked over by a guy who was not a good person. Uh, who's a more annoying character for you? Steve Urkel kimmy gibbler from full house or jar jar binks from episode one dude jar jar binks i mean they should have just dropped a nuclear bomb on the gungans and called it a day. <laughs> wow that's that's harsh luke i you know i stand by the gungans they're they were redeemed they were warriors okay you know what i'm saying we got introduced no, underwater tadpole freeloaders Yo, when it was guys. time to throw down they were chewbacca like true or false i mean sort of they didn't have there that chewbacca about it about itness uh, they they in also fairness, showed in up. In fairness, though. BC, not not many do. I I I I you know maybe it was the factory river, factory town, and the river that ran. Mike, I'm it. saying Mikey is saying that Skyler turned the son against Walter White. No, Walter White turned a family against himself. Not true. Not I don't agree with that at all. Would you? Throw Walter a, White was fun as a character to follow, but he was a really bad person and a really bad parent. Like, would you throw uh, Jay Aaron from the show Morning Combat on here on this question at all? Would you consider that? Yeah, but like, he's not the worst character. He's just the least relevant. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's keep it going here. From Joel FC eighty two. Honestly, can't understand BC liking Wakanda forever. It's awful. Thor: Love and Thunder was twenty times better. What movie have you guys hated that everyone loved? And vice versa. What what have you love that everyone hated? That's a cool question. I like that. Um, let's see here, Luke. Is there a great movie that's like revered? I mean, Dirty Dancing. Dirty Dancing sucks, man. Women think that's the best thing that ever happened. Yeah, Dirty they Dancing. They think it's like a prequel that. to Pretty Woman or something. No, 
Okay. Like I was- they, so my senior year in high school, and I had like my first like real serious girl. I had, I had girlfriends before, but like it was my first like long term one. Um, she made me go to like when they re released it in theaters in 1998. And I had to go watch that fucking shit in the theaters. Oh my god, what a nightmare that was. Um, I mean, Schindler's List wasn't pleasant. <laughs> okay, wasn't designed to be a romantic comedy. Was he? Was he? Yeah, there you go. There you I mean, go. it is unpleasant in a, in a certain way. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, you know, my answer would be is um, Million Dollar Babies. The real answer here. Also, I told you that I walked out or I stopped watching. Um, Natural Born Killers was a little too much. Oh, Natural Born Killers is great. Maybe, um, maybe I took it too seriously at that age. You know. Yeah, I mean, it's an art movie, right? I mean, right. you got to take it's it for what satire. it is. I get it. It's a satire. It was just well, it's co- it's not sick. satire so much as it's commentary in a certain way, bizarre commentary. Right. right. Um, I you know what? I'll be honest. I did not love this movie, but I liked it. I definitely liked it, and no one else did, which was the Last Jedi. So episode, what is that? Six of the the middle one of the new three. Eight. Eight. What Eight. am I saying? Six. Yeah. What the fuck am yeah. I talking about? Six was Return of the Jedi. So nine yeah. blue. Eight. Nine sucked. That's nine, that's where oh, the, the 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 rise of Skywalker is utterly unwatchable. Dude, shit. seven seven doesn't hold up as well as it did the night it came out in the theater. But that theater experience for seven. Dude, every special. time people make this mistake, they made it recently with this new movie Barbarian that I saw. Where they're like, oh, the movie has plot holes, and it's like, yes, of course it does. It has plot holes, but you forgive plot holes. If the director and then the writers are trying to actually have some intelligent commentary beyond the scope of what the plot can naturally deliver to you, you have to make that concession a little bit. And they did. In The Last Jedi, the thing that I really loved about it, that I really enjoyed about it, was that finally someone was like, dude, all this Jedi shit, just fucking bury it. It's the past. Be done with it through through Kylo Ren. That's when Kylo Ren, because Kylo Ren sucked in episode seven. A new yeah. hope. He was he was an emo piece of shit, crying loser who just offed and, his dad. And he couldn't beat Ray uh, in that sword battle at the yeah, end. Yeah, and he couldn't he beat like fucking Ray who had like five minutes a, of Jedi training. In Finn with no Jedi, no midichlorians no was kind of. Dude, was Darth Vader would have ripped that guy into two pieces, like with his mind, with with yeah. a schlong. If so, it, so, do you so, think so, he, did Darth Vader retain a schlong, or do you think that he lost that in the transaction? They probably gave him like a robotic fucking nine incher just out there hammering. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but here's the point I want to make, dude. The Jedi shit is is so tired. It is so old. It is so over. Oh, it's stop certain, it! You just no, God, dude. You can't you just... keep recycling these same stories over and over and over again. And someone was finally willing to say. Be done with it. Burn it. Get get rid of the past. That was one thing I liked about it. the other one, which I thought was actually a very salient point, was when like when when he burned the the Jedi Temple, which is like, dude, in 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 uncertain times, institutions won't save you. They yeah. will fail around you too. There is no certainty. There is no security. None of those things are. They're just figments of your imagination. Imagination. They don't really exist. And they and they went with that. And that's uncomfortable. And that's not fun. And it's hard to watch. So like the part about. You know, Princess, or I should say Queen Leia, or whatever, Emperor Leia, whatever she was, you know, in space, getting herself back on the yeah, plane. Yeah, that sucked. That, that sucked. was fucking stupid. That part is stupid. I can't defend that. I won't defend that. But the parts about getting rid of the Jedis, moving from it, and institutions failing around you, I fucking love that. Someone finally took a risk with Star Wars, and a big one, and it didn't pay off, but I thought it was great. I do say I still like 7 and 8. I, I, I think that I over value them when they first came out then i watched them enough to see the holes in them and they're not perfect but they're okay they're okay seven, they're seven is basically fine i don't have a problem with it yeah it's episode seven, four all over again 
Seven is the most nostalgic one on purpose. I get it. It's basically like redoing episode four, you know, advancing it in a, in a Cobra Kai type way, just re- redoing the same themes. But right. yeah, nine sucks, man. And one, su- two sucks too. I mean, come on. Dude, nine, nine sucked so bad. I actually saw it with my in-laws and uh, we walked out of the theater and I was like, dude, what did you think about that? And they were like, oh, we loved it. And I, I was like, <laughs> I, I wanted to get a divorce from my wife just to just to stick it to him for that opinion. So I was Pepe? like, well, fuck you guys. No, Maybe no, no. Like- from 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 Columbia. Like they were here right. on, on Vegas. And they're wonderful people. I'm obviously joking, but like yeah. I was I was like, are you are you doing a bit here? Like you can't possibly think that that was good. Um, uh, they just wanted to see, you know, Chewbacca and lasers and shit, you know. So um, Luke, I got a soccer one for you since it's World Cup time. All right, mm-hmm. Messi just lost two to one to the Saudi Arabians. Wow. I saw, I saw that. I was like, what the fuck? Uh, this is from Lee Carrick, 14. What would be your dream non-combat sports sporting oh. final to attend, including tournaments, teams, and venue? For example, AC Milan versus Inter Milan in the at Champions the League Ciro. final at the San Siro. San Siro. It wouldn't happen because, well, like, it could happen, but there's nothing on the horizon about it. I would love, 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 love. <laughs> to go see uh, Real Madrid play a Champions League final in their home stadium, which is, you know, very, uh, not really possible, but um, in, in the Bernabeu is what it's called. Um, I would love to fucking go to something like that. But I will tell you, BC, he asked non-combat sports related. There is one itch inside combat sports that I have not scratched that I really want to go. I want to go to what Morrow calls the punch bowl. What's it called now? The Home Depot, whatever the name of it? Dignity Health Sports. Dignity Park. Health Sports. Yeah, they've changed the name a million times in Carson City, California. Man, I got to tell you, that is Carson, on my California. bucket list. huh? Yeah, Car- it's Carson, California. Don't Did I say Carson, Carson City? City? I don't know why. Yeah. I, I'm, off my, I'm off my rocker today, but um, that I want to go to that one. I really yeah, like That's that. a bucket list thing for me. You have to do that. It was like my pilgrimage to Wrigley Field in 2001. You in for a day game, shirt off. You have to do it. Um, combat sports related. You know, I, I gotta be Wembley Stadium in for a major boxing match. You know, that'd be yeah. That yeah, I mean, big. you know, ninety thousand people there. You know, just yeah, that'd be incredible. Um, I don't know if I have what do I have a non-combat sports dream? I mean, dude, nobody's gonna turn down like the World Cup or any of these you know super soccer tournaments that you love i mean the atmosphere probably is the most intoxicating thing ever i mean dude when i saw when i went to some really big penn state games in the late 90s early 2000s when they were ranked that was some of the most intoxicating shit ever luke you know i don't yeah, know but like, what- i'm not dying to go i mean i like tennis but i'm not dying to go i like baseball i'm not dying to go even the super bowl it's too you know i guess if the commanders were in it or something i'd feel different or whatever but in general like that's what about like Olympics 100 meter dash final or something like Ooh. that? Oh, oh my God. I told my wife about this. I told my wife about this. There's no way to make it work because I can't make it. Dude, the, and you're going to laugh at this or you're going to mock it. I don't care. It, it, this wouldn't be like bucket list, but I really want to go. The world championships this year, in fact, in a couple of weeks, are actually in Bogota, Colombia for the Olympic weightlifting world championships. Um, and all of the major lifters are going, including my favorite lifter currently, Lasha Talahadze from Georgia. He is going to be going over to Bogota to compete. And I told my wife, I was like, I really wanted to go, but we just couldn't make it work. Um, yeah. I would love to go to something like that. Okay. Um, Mikey's shouting out that SEC football, just insanity. I would agree. I think if any of us who haven't went to an SEC game, we'd probably, you know, 
Stop so I've seen, I've, I've been to, now this is ACC or maybe they've moved. I can't even tell anymore because all the conference shifting. But when I was a kid, I saw, I saw FSU in Tallahassee play. God, who do they play? Damn, that's got to be fun. I can't remember, but it was a completely sold out thing and it was crazy as shit. And yeah. that was pretty cool. I yeah. mean, when you do big, big time college football, like when I saw 109,000 people on homecoming yes. when Penn State was ranked number two and undefeated, like that's just a different level. I mean, I've done I've done good seats at Knicks playoff games like in the what's it, 2000 season that, you know, when they came back from 18 down in game six against the heat, that was some, even though I'm not a Knicks fan, that was something like, you'll never forget what that felt like. I would already bet anything soccer related probably takes that to another level. Cause it's life or death for most countries. So yeah, I'd love to attend all that and feel that. Um, also, you know, I never got to see like Duke UNC at Duke, you know, yes. that, that could be something that I, which I, even I, now I, doesn't mean the same thing, but when we were when I was a, so I was a senior in college in 2002, and I've talked about it before, Battier, Boozer, yeah. Dunleavy, that whole crew, man, Jay to, yeah. yeah, Jay Williams, to go and watch them down in 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 North Carolina play their their essentially cross state rivals, fuck, that would have been great. Yeah, yeah, I feel, I feel, I pretty much feel like every answer is either college football or soccer, though. Those those seem to be the two like need to inject need to inject this in my veins for non yeah. non-combat yeah indeed yeah. right there all right let's wrap this up here luke let me see if there's anything else doing good here uh from five dollar footlong well uh bc what is an artist or album you really enjoy but yet know and think luke hates what are you planning for the gen six anniversary uh luke do you want to lead off with gen six what are you planning for the is that the two-year gen six or one year I... where are we at I don't even know anymore. I can't, uh, dude, dude. I can't keep track of anything in my life. All anymore. the last, dude, since we started MK, it's one long year, right? Because yes. that was mid COVID, which was weird enough. It's just been one I'm year. So glad me. you said that. I feel exactly the same. I feel exactly the same way. Um, it's just one day bleeds into the next, man. They yeah. really do. Um, so, what's an artist or album I enjoy that you know or think Luke's going to? Well, that's up to you. I know. I'm trying to think of that. I mean, a lot, a lot of what I a love. Lot. I dude, bet you... most of BC's record collection I would burn. Like Luke, I just I just picked this up for two dollars. So Van Morrison did a live album right at the peak of his powers in '74. It's called uh, um, what is it? It's too late to stop now. Didn't he? Didn't Van Morrison get in trouble once because he like did an entire show with his back turned to the audience? Oh, he, he yeah, he's he's a lo long time cantankerous dick. That's why people hail this concert so much as one of, as arguably the greatest live album in rock history that I didn't even know about because this was like the most amiable he ever was. And he was willing to be a showman dude, this double double record in the last two days has just blown. And I'm already a van fan. I've got all the great ones right on vinyl already. Dude, this, this is so damn great because he mixes all the genres together. Does each song differently than the album at a different pace and, and, and timing, but yet just performs the, shit out of it in terms of improvisation i i bet you would appreciate that I, like there yeah, is I don't a think side I, of dude, you you misunderstand me a little bit like dude a good musician is a good musician like he's a very good one like i'd be okay with that dude one of my favorite records this is true was when uh i've, I've listened to it like you know on uh, numerous times over the years stevie ray vaughn performing at carnegie hall oh yeah dude i mean you gotta get the fuck out of here with that that's that's just a genius at work i mean dude, it's unbelievable a there's a show it, it, I used to have the DVD. It's Steve Ray Vaughan live at the Elmo Cambo, which I think is in Elmo Combo. I think it's in Toronto. It's a club. He just does a live performance, like right at the peak of his powers in like 83, basically dude. He, it, there are moments that you're like, like 
am I higher than I think I am? That there's an eight, like he, he's a, he's, there's an eight. It's like the end of total recall when the guy brings out his lizard arm. I mean, there's things he does on that, that are just, uh, just, you know, they're, they're Hendrix like, and that's like saying they're, they're, uh, you know, they're godlike. Let, you know? let me ask you this name a concert you just walked out of. You were like, fuck this. <laughs> um, but this is the, the funniest and saddest story ever. Okay. So my buddy w w uh, went to Manhattan College in the Bronx, and I used to go there every weekend, right? I was always there. I like how shout Manhattan College is in the Bronx, but okay. Yeah, in Riverdale. Uh, shout out to Ed for that. And, uh, and I, dated, I dated a girl in Riverdale. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Did, nice. you, yeah. did you smash? I did, yeah. Okay. We, da we, dated, right we dated for a while. I mean, it was a romantic <laughs> thing. Um, and by the, So this is like fall. This is probably like 98. And we're there for like whatever uh, basketball opening night. What do you call that thing? Remember, the, what's that night called? Like it's like halloween night when college basketball midnight madness there I, you go. yeah yeah we went to midnight madness at manhattan college right who cares i got so i had a a, jer a jersey t-shirt made with my name back on, on the back of it i got so drunk i was out there in the layup line with the guy i mean it was, it was out of control Luke, okay um that night as we're on our way to the bars they're like yo cnc music factory is performing tonight i'm like are you kidding me they're like yeah they're over there at the auditorium but like no one's going to it and this is 98 CNC music factory had their two big hits in what, like 91, 92. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's not that far removed. I'm like, dude, we have a chance to see CNC music factory right now. They're like, yeah, free tickets. It's free. You want to go Luke? I approached a, imagine an elementary school gym. You know how small that is with a stage on the end of it. You know how small that is, right? It's like real small. I approached what was the equivalent to that heard. Um, Sweat, baby, with the music take control. Let the rhythm move you. And I'm like, yeah, dude. Walked in. There's no fans there. There's three kids standing against the back wall, laughing and kind of pointing at the stage. There's one person standing in front of the stage who was security. And it's CNC Music Factory. Shout out. What's the guy's name? Freedom Williams. Just going ham. Luke performing like there was nobody there because there wasn't. Or performing like he's at Madison Square Garden. Dripping sweat. Just going after it. And I walked in and just was. And I was so excited to be there to see them. And was overcome with the sadness of that moment. Like, oh my. And like the only people that were there were like obviously heckling. Like, can you believe this shit? And then we just laughed at them and turned around and walked away. And while I don't feel as bad as I do for the Yao Ming and Jervis Patterson reveals of when I was an absolute shit head, you know, but um, yeah, I walked out, Luke. It was the saddest thing I've ever seen. That's like five years removed from their absolute world renowned peak. And uh, they were playing to nobody at Manhattan College in the Bronx. Thank you. So I've got two concerts that I've left. One, I really regret. One was just the best decision ever. So one I regret was I went to go see Army of the Pharaohs. If you don't know who that is, it's a, like a super group of uh, all the underground rappers that I tend to like. So it's, you know, Esoteric and Apathy and Vinnie Paz and Self-Titled and blah, blah, blah. But they were the headlining act. So, dude, doors opened at 7. Concert started at 8. It was at the 930 Club in D.C. Okay, so I was on U Street getting beers with a friend of mine, blah, blah, blah. We roll in at eight and, you know, we're like, ah, we're a bit early. You know, let's just wait and we'll come back. And so blah, blah, blah. We got drunk and then we went there at 11. Okay. Three hours fucking later. And they still were not playing yet. There was like multiple acts that were still yet to go on the fucking bill, including like a guy I didn't even like named Mr. Liff. 
I was like, what the fuck is going on? Waited 30 minutes. Then another group that came out that's part of AOTP, but separate called Outer Space. And then they started their set. And I'm like, no, fuck this. This is ridiculous. I'm not waiting three and a half, four hours for this band to fucking come. When, when do you think we're going to go home? So I just left. But then I tried to see them multiple times since then. And all of those concerts got canceled. So I really regret it. The one I don't regret was when I went to a place called, used to be called the Nissan Pavilion. And now it's called Jiffy Lou Live. It's out in Bristol, Virginia. And every time the band goes there, it's always like, we're going to Washington, D.C., bitch. It's two hours from the city in the middle of nowhere. So when you leave, dude, you're going to wait another hour or two just getting out of there. We go to see my wife, like, begged me because she really wanted to see Motley Crue. I was like, all right, we'll fucking go see Motley Crue. First of all, I mean, the fact that I didn't get lice is just incredible, number one. I mean, the people there, just, I mean, the dregs of society. Let's just be quite honest about that. And then, uh, dude, the sound. Now, my wife says she has seen the band a number of times, and she, she even agreed with me. The sound was horrific. We don't know if it was just their equipment or what the cause was, because we'd been to that venue several times before, and it never had an issue. They were so fucking bad. The sound was so terrible. And then it started to rain. And I looked at my wife. She's like, we've been here. They've been playing for 30 minutes. I'm like, we are wasting our fucking time. And so we finally left. Turns out that the rain picked up way worse after we left. And there was flooding in the parking lot. And cars had to get towed out of there the next day so the shit could drain out and they could go get them. One of the best calls I've ever made in my life. Bang, bang. <laughs> Luke Thomas waits for no man. Uh, Luke, final question. Here. This one's from a Twitter user, CJ Hilson. Why is Luke so damn salty all the time? Who hurt you, man? How much time do we have for this, Luke? <laughs> I'll, I'll just say this, man. I don't know why it's this way, and I don't necessarily prefer it to be this way. I don't necessarily think the way I do it is better or the way in which I see life is better. However, I mean, a fish can't cry about its gills. You know, that's how, it's, that's how it breathes, you know? Yeah. Things that normally interest the average person, I've always found stupid and boring. And I will say something else about this too. Uh, people in this day and age, you hear a lot about like, oh, we want someone to be real, be real. Get the fuck out of my face with that shit. If there is anything I have learned, it's that people love fraud. People love fiction. And not like fiction as in like designated fiction, as in fiction that masquerades as fact people love being lied to they love all of this shit and if you think that's not true then ask yourself why there's so much of it in the world it's because people love it they respond to it they eat You're it talking up. About fake news wait. not just fake news but like old sayings that make no sense or inherited customs you're just supposed to keep you know using or whatever all of these things have never made sense to me at all. And the reasons why we do them have never made sense to me at all. And this is very true in the fight game where it's always smoke and mirrors and people are exaggerating and lying. People love lies. They love they love bullshit. And I've just never been that guy, man. I just can't go along with it. I can't unsee it. And so it puts me on the outside looking in all the time, man. Okay. So you're you're. it's not that you're hurt. Well, it's maybe that you're always hurt, right? Because you are who you are. You know your own truth. And anything else, you know, can S a D. Can S the biggest of Ds. You know what I'm saying? Wow. <laughs> who are we talking about? Shaq? I mean, what are we doing here, you know? 
You mean the Prince of Persia from Canada? Yeah, no, not that Shaq. Um, wow, that we 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 after round and did ninety minutes for the people. That's not bad. That's what we do overtime okay. always. Um, OT Corey, OT Anderson. Thank you, folks, for your questions. Thanks for listening to our reveals about how shitty we used to be before we evolved as human beings. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely been terrible. Yeah, I mean, we all have. It's it's just you know, it's it's just what it is right there. But uh, uh, I don't know what else to say here, Luke. What else do you want me to say? Thank, Thank you, you to everyone who watched. Don't drink and drive this uh, Thanksgiving weekend, please. Don't do that. Yeah, yeah. Be, don't re- do that. be responsible. Okay. Uh, get an Uber. Get a taxi. Whatever you got to do. You have more options now to not drink and drive than ever before. Right, right. Before you kind of had to wing it, you know, yeah. a little bit. Uh, now you don't. So. Don't do that shit. And thank you for watching. And we should also know, obviously, we still have the month of December left, which should be a good month for us. But on top of that, um, dude, 2023 looks to be a strong year. So let's 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 keep it in high gear. Yeah, let's keep banging. Let's keep bringing it. And you guys keep um, supporting us. Let's keep vaping. Downloading our content as Luke vapes. Uh, thank you to Mikey Mormile, our producer, um, who could also be vaping. It's possible. I mean, it's not it's not outside of the realm of possibility that right now he's our bong here. hits vaping because it definitely <laughs> does that. Uh, thank you, dear listener. I hope you enjoyed some family time uh, this weekend um, and just, you know, focus on what really matters. OK, morning combat. Yeah, obviously, like and subscribe. There you go. No, uh, your, your health, your mental health, your family. Uh, you can get out of this ditch you're in because we all been there. There's probably a few more ditches left for me before the final one. where i don't come out of but um we we you can come back from this okay spring follows winter inevitably believe that that's some truth right there uh for luke thomas my name is brian campbell thanksgiving is the best holiday i hope you enjoyed it hope you didn't hurt anybody during black friday um but thank you for watching two more words we out